Happy New Year, everyone. Alright, so I actually misread my season plan last week, and we're not yet to the heart, lungs, or brain. I forgot there's still a little bit more to talk about on abdominal surgery, and then some talk of endoscopy after that. Sorry about that if you were super excited for the other specialties, but I promise we will get to them. Anyway, modern abdominal surgery descends essentially from two pretty old operations. To start, I want to talk about colostomies. A colostomy is the construction of an artificial anus, especially because the rectum is obstructed by something. As you can imagine, such a blockage is a major problem. Eating is kind of required to live, and what goes in must come out. So if waste cannot leave the body, then you're quickly going to have serious problems. The earliest colostomies were actually done on children, who were born without correctly formed anuses. As you can imagine in earlier times, such an operation was extremely risky. Opening the abdomen was incredibly painful without anesthesia, and might cause infection or shock, since we're also predating antisepsis. But the lack of an anus is essentially a death sentence, and surgery is its only real treatment. Even with such a birth defect basically guaranteeing death, the procedure was so dangerous that it sometimes was still passed over, since it might just produce a more painful death. It was especially sensitive to such concerns, since so many of its patients were children. But in 1710, Alexis Litre of Paris was the first to formally investigate a definite method of doing this. He had a patient with a defective anus at birth, who unfortunately died just six days into life. Unlike many a surgeon before him, though, he took the opportunity to autopsy his patient, and after some study proposed an entirely new surgery. To get around the defective anus, or any other blockage really, you could cut open the abdomen and then cut the colon. You could either stitch the colon to itself to get around the blockage, or you could even stitch one end of the colon to an incision on the outside, essentially completely bypassing part of the large intestine, but at least allowing passage of waste out of the body, even if in an incredibly unconventional way. I have attached an image in the show notes, in case you're having difficulty understanding what I mean. It turns out that this is a great idea, and I think Litro deserves heaps of credit for thinking of it. The idea of an artificially created anus to me seems very unintuitive, and must have been hard to invent. Lethro never got to try out his procedure, though. But in 1793, Claude Duret performed the first successful colostomy. A child of just three days old was suffering from an anal birth defect, and Duret made a large incision in the left groin and connected the colon to it, creating an artificial anus at the side of the hip. His patient lived until the age of 45, so clearly it worked for at least a few decades. That patient must have been incredibly lucky, though, and my research turned up far more examples of early patients who had similar operations but died. Colostomies, though, did at least give a chance at life to patients with severe colon problems, a chance that, frankly, had not existed at all before. Although the technology surrounding it improved the safety of colostomies significantly over the next couple centuries, the underlying procedure has actually not changed very much, even to this day. Pretty impressive, considering, again, it was figured out back in the 1700s. The basic principle of cutting the colon and restitching it to get around a blockage is much the same, although antisepsis and antibiotics and many other technologies make it much, much safer. Colostomies these days are pretty common, and a relatively safe procedure. Colostomies also inspire a number of other surgeries, though with similar principles being applied across the digestive system. A colostomy involves severing the colon, 
and reattaching it elsewhere to bypass problems. As it turns out, that works quite well in much of the rest of the digestive tract too, not just in the colon. In the stomach, for example, or the esophagus, you can remove sections of it, stitch the remainder back together, and still retain a lot of function, which was especially vital in treating some forms of cancer. For example, before that got figured out, cancer of the esophagus was a slow and terrible death sentence. Slowly, the esophagus would become unusable until the patient could no longer eat, and then would starve to death. With this new surgery, the tumor could be removed, and the remnants of the esophagus reattached for continued function and life. Now, with the exception of colostomies and its derivatives, many other abdominal operations derive from the removal of ovarian cysts, known as an ovariotomy. An ovarian cyst is a fluid-filled sac in or on the ovary. Usually, they don't cause any problems, and they pass on their own, but may produce feelings of bloating or pain, and in severe cases can contain several pints of fluid. If they burst, it can be extremely dangerous, and the pain, danger, and relative ease of identification and removal all contributed to ovariotomy being one of the earlier abdominal surgeries. Kind of like with colostomy, the first folks to propose the operation, John Hunter and a John Bell, never performed the operation themselves. But one of Bell's students, Ephraim McDowell, performed the first removal of an ovarian cyst in Kentucky, 1809. Keep in mind, there's still no anesthesia at this point, so the patient was awake for the entire thing. Apparently, the patient sang hymns for the entire operation, and there was a crowd outside waiting to hear the results. All very dramatic. The procedure, as you know, was successful, and she lived on for another 32 years. McDowell would go on to perform a few more procedures successfully, and wrote about his work, but must have been frankly very skillful or very lucky, and probably a combination of both. Further attempts at ovariotomies in other countries usually ended in death. I don't have details on how exactly McDowell did his operations, but I know that in 1840 an ovariotomy was done in England, and I have a rather vivid passage describing the surgery. Quote, The woman was seated propped up on a couch, and Walney's finger was passed into the peritoneum through an incision one and a half inches long. This was then enlarged to rather more than 13 inches. As the tumor prolapsed, one assistant pressed the abdominal wound margin together to prevent prolapse of intestines, while another held up the tumor weighing 16 and 3 quarters pounds. Those are some very big wounds, and you can see perhaps why there was so much danger in the earlier operations. This prompted significant controversy in the surgical community. Walney, who was the surgeon in the passage I just described, became an avid advocate of ovariotomies in England. In contrast, there were plenty of opponents, like our old friend Robert Liston, who called surgeons that performed ovariotomies belly rippers. A little dramatic if you ask me, but clearly he didn't have high opinions of the procedure, and many other people agreed with him. Liston won out in the short term. Ovariotomy was very unpopular for much of the 1800s, and was actually entirely banned in a lot of hospitals. On the rare occasion a surgeon felt it was truly necessary, Patients were snuck into rooms outside of the hospital itself in order to skirt such rules. But in 1878, Lister, the founder of antiseptic technique, purposefully performed one against his hospital's rules to demonstrate that with antisepsis technique, it was now reasonably safe. The big turning point, though, came from a man named Thomas Spencer Wells. Wells first became interested in ovariotomies in 1848, 
but ironically dismissed the procedure as too dangerous. However, Wells provided medical aid in the Crimean War, and when he saw the relatively large number of men who survived gunshot wounds to the abdomen, he was convinced that maybe an ovariotomy was possible to survive too. His first success came in 1858, a decade later. He subscribed to strict cleanliness at first, which undoubtedly contributed to his success. Wells was one of the earliest to understand Pasteur's work on germs, and also adapted antisepsis when he heard of Lister's successes. If you'll recall from earlier episodes, that was very rare, and the idea of germs was quite controversial for its time. Beyond just new methods to prevent infection, Wells was well known for his aptitude with instruments. He trusted no one else with them, always personally cleaning and drying them after every operation. Seems a little excessive, but within a decade his results were good enough to encourage revived interest in ovarian cyst removal. Those results then encouraged others to branch off from there to other organs. If one could remove ovarian cysts safely, why not other organs or body parts? Removal of the uterus, spleen, and gallbladder all followed quickly, happening for the first time in the mid to late 1800s. This work laid the foundation for other abdominal surgeries, and while at the end of the 19th century, abdominal surgery was viewed with suspicion by most of the medical community, by the 20th century it was pretty commonplace, and much of the underlying methodology had already been figured out. Much like colostomies and its derivative procedures, other abdominal surgeries were helped along by new technology too, which made them safer and easier to perform. Nowadays, abdominal surgery is routine, and it's not uncommon for surgeons to just explore the abdomen when in doubt about a diagnosis. One of the most important technologies in making abdominal surgery safer, though, is endoscopy. An endoscope is a device used to examine the inside of the body, and next week, We'll learn all about how those came to be. As always, thanks to Jojo Tang for editing, Angie Lee for our cover art, and Muse Open for our music. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, or reach out via the link in the show notes. I think I have finally gotten the hang of my new microphone, so if you have feedback on sound quality, that would be especially helpful. Thanks for listening.